<laughs> Welcome to Private Practice Podcast, season six, episode one, and we are in the London Private Practice Studio. Um, I met some actual, I met the listener, two of them in the same place the other day. Two of the listener. Yeah, it was a bit awkward because, are, are they married? They're married, yes. Would you like to give their names? No. Okay. Well, I was talking to one of them immediately upon entering the room. And then on the other side of me turned out to be his wife, who presumably lives in the same house. I'd assume so. So they clearly know each other. They do. And they both seemed to know that the other one listened to Private Practice Podcast, Mm. meaning... They know that they're not the only listener. Unless, of course, they have what I would consider to be a slightly unhealthy view of a relationship whereby instead of being two individuals who come together to make more of life than an individual would in solitude, they consider themselves each to be merely half a person. And when they come together, they complete each other to form a whole. Um, Well... This listener definitely isn't one person. (laughs) So, hello to the listener, even if you know that there's another one in the room with you, or upstairs in the house, or whatever. Hello, listener. Uh, It was very nice to meet a listener. It was very nice to meet a listener who didn't shout at me why I'm completely wrong and ignorant of narratus and habitus of civilization. Sorry, say that again. Narratus and habitus and narrativization. Habitus and narrativization. Uh Do you have anything else that you'd like to say before we introduce the episode or the season or anything like that? No, no. So um, you've met a listener. It was nice. Other times you had more problematic encounters with listeners. I like all of our other listener. Yes. It was just nice to have a balance, a different type of listener. (laughs) A whole, um, all these individuals, these these <laughs> listeners with their their different personalities. It's very nice. You're suggesting that there's no such thing as a label private practice podcast listener that fully encapsulates everything that it is to be a listener, the listener of private practice podcast. I I am, which 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 harks back to a conversation we've had before, where you asked me to describe the private practice podcast listener. And I couldn't. Actually, what, would you... Yeah, okay. I was going to say, would you like to do that now? But obviously not. No, I, I wouldn't want. like to do that. I'd find that problematic. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I think maybe working title for this episode is We Have a Problem. Or James Has a Problem. Or What's Your Problem? James Has a Problem. Okay, well, it could, it could be any of these. I mean, the listener will already know what the episode is called. We haven't decided yet. The many problems of James. Um, but the, the problem of James. This episode is essentially about problems. Problems. Of which... We all have some. But how could we possibly identify them? How could, we, how could you know what your problems are? Well, I mean, you, through experience, 
through a kindly soul pointing them out to you in a positive and friendly and not too critical way through the destruction they cause as you blaze your way through life through a lack of success in a chosen field through broken relationships through damaged children through through poverty I have to say, when you, I, 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 I stopped list, I stopped taking in that list halfway through because it was too much to react to. Um, but if I just, if I, if I just give a simple problem, your kitchen sink is leaking, water is dripping on the floor. You don't want that. Mm-hmm. It's a problem because you're wasting water. The floor's wet. It might drip through to the flat below etc your, your feet might be getting wet and rem- a listener who's been with us for a long time will remember my story about getting my foot wet in Montpellier the Christmas special of uh, 2018 I think it was oh, that was a great story that was <laughs> um, so would, getting, you, would you like to repeat the story absolutely not but getting getting your pleased, foot wet very pleased <laughs> getting your foot wet as I have real life experience of is a real problem it really is a problem. So, so just to keep this simple, I won't retell the story of when I got my foot wet in Montpellier. Please but, don't. Um, if you, so your, your kitchen sink is leaking, you have a problem. Uh-huh. Uh, no one is really debating whether or not it's a problem. No one is advocating that it is a special sink and the mm. leak gives it character and it should stay that way. Ah, I think I see where you're going with this. Yeah, but carry on. We are... Let's say this is this sink is used by lots of people. So instead of just shared house sink, a shared house sink, or even a shared office sink. Let's office say sink. Thirty people use this sink throughout the day. Plus is that thirty visitors. or sixty wet feet? <laughs> sixty wet feet. Well, let's consider the fact that there might be someone disabled who has tragically lost a foot to a landmine or something, or is in a wheelchair. So maybe really their exactly. feet are dry. Oh, yeah, privileged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to any new listeners um well you can decide from that whether you want to carry on listening <laughs> also i did do some giggling with the listener uh the other day they got and, to hear the giggle yeah and one one of the listeners said oh it's just like listening to an episode <laughs> one of the listeners said it's just like listening to an episode uh, so but that's quite nice it shows that i don't put this on but it's not maybe it's maybe not so nice for you because you have to deal with this all the time. It's not like it's just an act. But for the listener, it might be nice to know that this isn't just a performance. I'm like this all the time. Okay, let's get back to the sixty wet feet or the fifty-eight wet feet and two wet wheels. Okay, yeah. So um, everyone has everyone is in agreement. Sorry, four wet wheels. Uh, everyone is in agreement that um, the leaking sink is a problem so mm-hmm. someone rings the plumber the plum com- plumber comes around fixes it and the problem is solved so that's a nice simple problem the sink was leaking the plumber came and fixed it and now the sink is no longer leaking but it's like a mechanical problem like an engineering problem it's well, a design it... problem it's a it's a flaw in a product it's not a human problem really well i'm not going to get into a detailed debate of whether or not the brain is a 
thing that can go wrong will be fixed. Or maybe, no, maybe that's the, that's probably the entire subject. Of the, I was going to say, I think that's exactly what you're going to get into. So what I, I started that sentence to say and then thought, I don't know if I want to say that or not. So then I said something that I do want to say, but realised that I'd started the sentence as, I'm not going to talk about this. So <laughs> that's what happened there. Anyway, um, if you have... If you have a brain, yes, as opposed to we, who knows how much consciousness a tap has, but it's probably it's certainly not the same consciousness that is. You assume made. not. The the problems plural that you might have are likely to be more complicated than the leaky tap. Human brain problems. So if you suffer from depression, you can't just get someone to get down on their knees with a spanner tighten your nuts and come back up and say all fixed nothing wrong with your plumbing anymore nothing no, leaking. no more brain leak no more discharge and then you pay them and they go off to their next simple problem to solve mm. uh you go so you ideally go into uh dive into 10 years of freudian jungian kleinian uh pick your favorite analyst uh psychotherapy oh my god we should totally do psychotherapist top trumps anyway <laughs> and you go to the therapist with a problem do you i'm going to say yes okay so many people go to a therapist with a problem that is not as simple to fix as a leaky sink yes and you can't just call the plumber so your brain plumber in the analogy, is a therapist. Yes. Or a psychiatrist. Yes. Or a alternative therapist sometimes. Yes. Psychologist, maybe. But, and then it could also be a friend or someone who helps you through your problem. Yeah, okay. okay. We're, we're focusing mainly on psychoanalysis. So, so that's, the, that's the gist of this episode, I think, is how do you identify a problem? What is a problem? Because, I mean, if a problem is just something that can be fixed by a plumber with a spanner, then most human behaviour and psychology is not a problem because the, the, the spanner doesn't work. So defining what is a problem, but not in a totally anal Wittgensteinian obsession over language, just, just a, little, a little chat about the, the, the word problem and some of its connotations whereby you might not like the word problem. Or in my case you might overly like the word problem and how to identify your problems. Wait a second. So you don't think that the, the listener can identify when they have a problem? I don't think most people can identify when they have a problem. It's very difficult. It's kind of why humans don't fully understand consciousness because how can we understand that which we are? When you look at the world... And okay, okay, okay. okay. Let's, let's, let's backtrack a bit because I've got to say, I think the... Um... The sink analogy, you know, everyone knows that a leaky sink is a problem. Nobody wants a pile of water around their socks first thing in the morning. Um, so when we're talking about a problem and saying to a human, how do you know you've got a problem? You're saying that it's much more difficult to identify your own problems because in essence, part of you is the problem. Yes, it's easy to look at someone and identify a problem in them. I can see so many right now. <laughs> well, guess what? Guess who's looking back at you? Mm. 
God. <laughs> so the, the listener may have may or may not have picked up that I haven't just read a book and regurgitated the thing that I just read in a chapter this morning. Mm, uh, which this is episode. I'm really pleased about. I mean, a nice little break from our our elongated book reviews slash immersion into flow is is really nice. So this is season six. We, we you know what we're going to talk about. We have introduced the topic. James has semi-eloquently given an example of both a human problem, depression, and a sink problem, dripping. Uh, (laughs) For all of you out there who don't know what a problem is. And um, so we're going to be looking at that. But this is season six of Private Practice Podcast. It's a kind of a intermission season, right? But I would say don't worry. For the listener who likes... Uh, the, the, the concept of we read a book and we say what's in the book in a slightly ludicrous way. Uh, Don't fear worry. not. Fear we're, not. We're going to do that again. Yeah, we have got a juicy, juicy book coming up for you. I'm very excited about it. And the it. best thing about it is that I hate the title of it. And I've already judged the book by its cover very negatively. And I haven't really read anything inside yet, but I'm definitely going to do that. And we're going to talk about it at some point in the future. Yeah, I'm sure we will come back to this in episode one of season, of what will be season seven. But I've got to say, I spent a very frustrating 60 minutes with James trying to teach him not to judge a book by its cover to the point where I had to go downstairs and start reading that book just to prove to myself that it was much better than the cover. And it is. Um, I wonder if there's anything about judging a book by its cover and... um, Problems. Problems and identity and the conflict between the self and the external world of social construction yeah see james wants to make this podcast super fucking lofty and um (laughs) i'm not i'm not really into doing that i'm really want to be useful i want it to be a useful just to make him uh, pull a face accessible and something that actually people can think yeah this relates to me this isn't just some nonsense that's difficult to understand, but probably has some relevance in the academic-literary world. And what is more relatable and helpful than helping someone identify whether or not they have a problem and what they might be able to do about it? Absolutely. I, I agree. But, um, I, you know, in my head, and maybe this is me spending too long working in mental health, you know you've got a problem because things are going wrong around you. Okay, well, I think we should start there. What kind of things? So, like, I feel depressed, but what does that actually mean? What are feelings? What do you notice? What patterns of behaviour? What are things? It's fine to take this completely back to basics, Mm -hmm. because we started this podcast several years ago with the, the, the concept was that it was the private practice was a therapy, uh, and uh, as in a psychoanalytic um, therapy room with a sofa whereby I would come in, lie on the couch with a problem, I would say the problem and in the role of my therapist, you, Dan, would respond to the problem. And so today I'm coming back to the private practice sofa with the problem, what is a problem? Okay, all right, so in mental health, um, we look at sorry we manage we support we investigate we assess we treat a huge continuum of what could be considered problems or challenges or conditions or illnesses now 
a problem when we're talking about your mind, because we are talking about your mind. We're not really talking about a financial problem here or your car breaking down or the sink breaking down. Podcast is focusing on psychological problems, mental health issues. We are focusing on feelings and thoughts that are not conducive to happy, fulfilling life. Uh, well, I would object to the word happy in the same way that I objected to it in flow and I will probably object to it in every single episode of season seven but because happiness is a fleeting emotion it lasts a few seconds I, I my goal in life personally is to have a life that is okay not bad because bad is constant negative emotions a, a prioritizing of negativity over my state of affairs so because uh, I'd, I'd say there that if your happiness is fleeting to the point that it only lasts a few seconds that to me is problematic no it's not necessarily but okay it, it can be a few seconds it can be a few minutes maybe kind of feeling last an hour I mean if, if the, I don't I, I, I don't know I stand by this because ever since I've started uh, practicing meditation the whole purpose of the meditation is not so that I can start levitating and being at one with my chia seeds or anything like that. Yes. It's so that I can have a better understanding of my thoughts. And the process is to notice when a thought comes into your head, notice what it is, not judge it, and notice if it disappears. Okay, tall it disappears. man. Okay, tall man. Stop a second. So let's take a moment let's do an activity let's let's how let's work out how you and i are feeling right now okay, okay. so i'm going to close my eyes and i'm hoping you'll close your eyes as well so you're you're talking about using meditation to investigate the physical feeling and the emotional the sensation in your body so what if you keep your feet flat on the floor if you you know, try and relax the muscles that might be a bit tense. If you find the most comfortable sitting position, and obviously, listener, do this with us. Find the most comfortable at rest position you can for a moment. Sit down if you're listening at home. Take a second and just scan different parts of your body from your feet. Whenever I've done this, I sort of give my feet a bit of a wiggle and your ankles. I always feel a bit of tightness and stiffness in my ankles and sort of up your legs just wiggle them around don't be too self-conscious about it your hips your stomach you know your chest like your shoulders and your across the top of your neck up to your head and your face like around your eyes and your forehead and just scan around and you didn't mention the sexual organs you feel free to wiggle those around as well wiggle your clitoris Wiggle your clitoris. Unless you're driving. Don't do any of this if you're driving. Pull over. Sorry, carry on. I am taking this seriously. <laughs> you're not taking it seriously. It doesn't have to be taken, say, seriously. But what was it about scanning your body and finding the different sensations within your body that you seem to struggle with? Uh, where what, at what point in your body did the thought to say the word clitoris pop into your head? Because when you start talking about body parts, uh, my the the 
immature aspect of my sense of humor immediately kicks in and I notice if you are listing body parts and emitting sexual organs and then I'm totally distracted I by didn't that. say kneecaps either no that's I, true I didn't, I didn't say heel I didn't say palm of the hands I didn't say in between your fingers I didn't say bum cheeks I didn't say under your armpits I didn't say nipples I didn't say belly button. I didn't say behind your ears. I don't even know if I said ears. I didn't say nose. I didn't say. I didn't get to say cheeks of any sort. I didn't say any of those things. But you had to talk about your mother. <laughs> yes. Status update. I still enjoy childish bodily function humour. Maybe I'll change my opinion one day in the future but i haven't done it yet uh anyways point being we're trying to identify feelings in the body so was there a what was that okay so when i'm quite new to meditating and i'm not really very good at the the, the body parts the thing that i find useful is listening to the inner voice um and paying attention to the visualization of thoughts immediately as they appear without being distracted by what I'm doing or the ongoing narrative of the voice. Because if I have a sort of like dialogue going on in my head whereby I'm essentially talking to myself in my head as everyone does, then in the meditation, it is possible to stop doing that. Then notice when it starts on its own uh, recognize that it has started, not judge it, be aware of the subject of the internal voice and the fact that that seemingly came from nowhere. It's not like you sit down and choose the subject of what's going to be going on in your head at any point. It's an ongoing thing. And then to be able to notice it disappear without making the effort to continue it and recognize any feelings that come from that so for example if the inner voice immediately goes to a person that you don't like in your personal or work life or something um you can you can start to generate your own negative uh, feelings of anger jealousy thoughts, resentment thoughts or, or feelings feelings so these the thoughts come first the inner voice the constant dialogue going on in your head, the thoughts that just pop out of nowhere, the thought um, creates a mental picture of a person you don't like, but then you start to have the inner voice of, oh yeah, well she did that stupid thing this week like she always does, because she just doesn't get the fact that she can't see the world from how from other people's perspective, and she's so stupid, and she's uh, you, ha you start this internal dialogue, and suddenly you're frustrated, you're tense, you're angry, so feelings have come from that thought. Or the feelings that you have in your body that you're not recognizing are what are causing those thoughts. It's a two-way stream, almost, Possibly. almost, almost, in, almost definitely. Okay. So I suppose what I was trying to do in a kind of a, or what we were trying to do in a in a moment of, not meditation. It was body scanning. We were just checking what feelings were in your body, but you're not able to do that. It comes with practice and now I'm not very good at it. Firstly, anything to do with paying attention to my body um, opens me up to my phobia of problem. blood. Problem. Yeah, problem. I have, well, okay, that's absolutely, 
prob I found one problem in James. Okay, mate, got it. Don't worry, we'll help you. Absolutely, one of my biggest problems is phobia of blood. I don't know what it represents. I don't know why I have it. I don't know how to overcome it. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely a big problem that I have. We need to backtrack again, James. Okay. We need to backtrack before the body scanning activity, which perhaps we're going to have to come back to in, I don't know, season 10 or 12. Okay. Because it's so complex. Um, you were asking about what is a problem. I was telling you how we manage problems and what we, what we deal with in problems in, in mental health clinical setting. So there's a huge scope. Realistically, it's something that gets in the way of you living a relatively contented life you didn't like the word happiness, so I changed it. Um, you said that happiness is a fleeting moment, a second, you know, and I'm thinking recognizing happiness perhaps for you is a fleeting moment or a second, rather than the fact that you might be happy quite a lot of the time. And then I was trying to get you to go into your body and see what feelings you had now, but you weren't having it because clitoris was way too alluring for you. Um, so, in terms of the scope of what is a problem, it can be something that someone is very aware of you know for example a panic attack you, you would really struggle to not understand that you, there was something going on in your body that wasn't comfortable and it was stopping you from going about your daily business to a psychotic episode a delusional belief system which you might have no awareness of and you are fully involved in so there's a, a phrase we might use which is like insight you know or awareness or self-awareness um but so problems are, are in in that region is it something that is stopping you from living your normal life and you are aware of it or is it something that is stopping you from living your normal life in one way or another to a greater or lesser extent and you're completely unaware of it okay because the second one there doesn't i don't think necessarily has to be some kind of um diagnosable disorder such as schizophrenia or something like that it, it's more or less anybody and this is what i want to talk about today so you want to talk about the middle ground yes yeah, so for example a bit like so sorry you go well i mean i don't want to specifically use the person who immediately crops up in my mind why don't you use yourself or me you know really, okay. really piss me off or any example you know i think there's someone that you might have once worked for who has got a whole host of problems um, and seeing as you no longer work for them there might be something from that you know, that would come up that would be useful someone who is completely unaware of the impact that they have on other people how they make other people feel how they make other people react they're completely unable to take responsibility it seems for their actions however there it seems to be no impact on their life because of this no noticeable impact that you observed if i remember right exactly and they might even be in flow their problem might keep them ticking over so the more that they don't recognize their lack of empathy and the fact that they're constantly reassuring themselves that they're right and if anything goes wrong that someone else has done they immediately go to criticize whereas if anything has gone wrong that they have done they immediately reassure it's only a small thing it doesn't matter it's it's, it's nothing uh, etc they don't see that because 
they would have to come out of their consciousness and into another form of consciousness and look at it as a third person observing in, in a scientific way. So whilst I was starting to say this earlier and you, your lofty alarm started and you stepped in and saved the day with some relatable talk, I do still <laughs> think this is relevant in that if you think about scientific problems, the, the scientific method is to observe something, test it, observe the results of the test etc you can't do that with yourself so that is the gist of the episode it's it's impossible to go out of yourself and look at yourself from a third person perspective um, to observe yourself uh, question test etc that is the role of the therapist the therapist yeah or the support yeah yeah it's interesting but there are problems that we know that we create that we're aware of there are problems that we can have um you know psychological emotional problems w most people know it's not right to have an internal monologue or at a certain point most people realize that having a self-critical negative um self-blaming or or even um self-hating internal monologue is a problem you don't necessarily need someone else to say that to you. However... Do they? At a certain point, most people will realise that, yes. Okay. I think... I think... My, my immediate challenge to that is to think... I'm the person who constantly has a negative, self-critical, internal voice, and I just think, but isn't that normal? Isn't that the case for everyone? Why am I different? Why is this a problem? This, this isn't, I don't even notice it because how could I notice that it's different to anyone else? I think you're right, actually. If I think about it, um, perhaps only when something problematic gets in the way of your normal functioning, like a, a normal functioning, a happy relationship, a being able to get to school each day or being able to only when there is an external consequence of an internal problem is a person able to see it for themselves so yeah the consequence is where we can use the comparison of the leaking sink because you might not think that if you are a sink with some limited consciousness, you might not think that a gap in between your nuts and bolts is a problem because how can you compare yourself to other sinks that don't have that and evaluate that they're doing better than you are? But when you're leaking all over the floor and you can't hold on to the water and you somehow recognise that that is your sole purpose in life, to hold on to the water and you can't even do that, it's just leaking all over the floor and people are getting wet feet and getting angry about it, and shouting at and you. And shouting at you, telling you that you're the worst sink in the world. What are you? You're not even a sink. <laughs> then you can see consequence of your action and think, oh, maybe this is a problem. You're a glorified plant pot. <laughs> <laughs> but without the plant, the best bit. Yeah. So yes, yeah, the, the problem becomes, once the problem is externalised, a person has more access to it. So when and it might be someone angrily shouting at you 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 know you all you ever do is think about yourself all you ever do is 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 sit inside your own mind thinking about you and what you do and who you are when actually internally your 
self-critical, self-hating, and actually externally that might create worry or drama or or problems that you don't think are your problem. You think they're other people's problem. So okay, so this is the ne- this is where I want to go with this next. Well, that's handy. So basically, we've we've just established that it's very difficult to recognise a problem in yourself because how do you know it's different to anyone else? How can you evaluate your consciousness from outside of it? You can't without external consequence or external support. Yes, whereby you can guess that something is not as it should be because and of course you have that, feedback. That could be reading as well. That could be reading a book that points out to you that someone else in a book for example if it's a story has this problem and the problem is described and you're like hey, that's me yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh-huh um so if we propose uh, some solutions to this psychoanalysis as a long-term thing cbt as an immediate intervention is very helpful to people in certain situations uh-huh. um and Uh, I find that meditation is very useful and there are other things. So these things are some of the things that we've talked about before and we'll continue to talk about as ways that can, in this situation of identifying a problem, they can help. You can meditate and you can recognize negative consequences that you weren't paying attention to. When you start to pay attention to your consciousness, you can recognize things that you weren't previously paying attention to. When you go through CBT, you can go through the the sort of logical testing of testing of your behavior your beliefs and behaviors and reactions and feelings and mm -hmm. and 10 years lying on the therapist's couch you have someone else with an as objective and informed a perspective as possible to look from their point of view dig as far as they can into your consciousness to excavate exactly the consciousness But why would you want to do that? And we briefly touched on this before, but this is specifically something that I've been wanting to come back to for a long time. Why would you start being introspective? Why would you dig up problems that you don't know you have? I think I have the answer like I usually do when I ask questions, but I'm not going to just answer my own question. (laughs) Why would you want to? Why would you not just think, um it's fine i can manage my life i can deal with it this is about quality of life qual qols a problem is really only a problem if it has a tangible negative bad or dramatic consequence on your life you may not see the external um, manifestation of that problem. You may not be. It may not be reflected back to you. But I guess a classic example would be someone very internally self-critical who is also externally self-critical of everyone else, who therefore never manages to find someone to have a. What I think most people would agree is a positive experience, a warm, loving relationship, like a a good, positive sexual relationship or long term partnership or they never get that sense of being content at work. Everything is rubbish. Everything is a bit shit. Other people are always causing problems. Now, that person might need some something to happen for them to realise it's a problem, but we would all probably externally go. That person has problems, right? Yeah. Okay, so they might not be aware of that. They might not be aware that why they haven't been able to have... You know, if we keep it really simple, 
very self-critical or very critical of others because actually that's one way of dealing with being self-critical, just be critical of everything. I have very high standards. Right. So you don't have, you don't connect with other people. To connect with other people is one of the most important things. You know, we've talked before about having, you know, life having a purpose and life having a meaning. And for me, having connections with other people is probably the closest thing to a, a given meaning rather than one that you make for yourself. It's there. You know, you either do it or you don't. It gives your life meaning and purpose and um, depth. It gives you integrity as a person as you connect and learn with other, from other people. Someone who is unable to do that because of an internal problem, a thinking problem, a self-confidence problem, a, a, a rationalisation problem, whatever it is, it's a problem, it's internal. That person may well not know about that. We all know people. I think most of us will at least have met people in our teams at work or even had a partner who's like this, actually. And there's no way that that relationship's going to be successful because this person's internal world and the way that they relate it to others is just so uncomfortable and so negative and so critical and so. Ugh. And you can't just go up to them and say, you know, most of the problems in our relationship, your life and my life right now, because you don't empathize with someone else's point of view and you think you're always right and you're constantly reinforcing the world, your worldview to prove that you're right all the time and that everyone else is wrong. If you just don't do that, everything will be better. Duh. So let's just not do that anymore starting now. Yeah. <laughs> Although we all make that mistake at different times in our life of thinking that just because we explain how we see someone, they're going to get it and see it for themselves and change. It's one of the most famous things, I think, in relationships is that people might go into the relationship seeing someone's faults and flaws and thinking that they will be the person to help that person change and become better, which, of course, we can't until the person sees it themselves that there's a problem. There is no problem. All right. Yeah. Hey, that's good. Mm. So it's only problematic. I mean, it's problematic. It can be problematic for other people. It's only problematic to the individual in what it in the potential for what they can have in their life that is rewarding and good and all those positive words. And they don't have it until they either see that they don't have it and could have it, or see that they don't have those good positive human connections and feelings of uh, happiness, however fleeting, or contentment, however long-lasting they, they don't have that so to go into therapy to have a therapist slowly help them excavate the different layers of defense mechanisms and projections and 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 feelings of distrust and mistrust and anger and hurt and that get in the way of them seeing themselves not quite as they truly are but seeing themselves in a more accurate realistic way then without that therapist they're never gonna get those things I would go even further than that one person and I would say every single person by means of being human has problems and if anything that gives life purpose because you need a problem for any pursuit. You need a problem that you need to solve. So like if you're an artist, you can't just spend your entire life randomly shoving paint around you'll get very frustrated you need to have problems to solve uh, such as um, 
here is my opinion on something. I want to represent it in my art. How do I do that? I don't know. I'll try this. Oh dear, that was a disaster. I must do better next time or something along those lines. Uh, and that gives, that's creating meaning for life. And if you don't have a problem to solve, you literally just sit and exist throughout your whole life. And so everyone has... Which doesn't sound terrible, just by the way. <laughs> oh, it does to me. Everyone has problems by means of being a human being, living a life that is somehow worthwhile or feels worthwhile. Um, in order to live a life that feels worthwhile, you need a problem. You need to be aiming for something. And so this is why I like problems. And But I, I, I recognise that there is a problem with the word problem because it just sounds like a bad thing. Fix it, get it out of the way, and then everything will be better afterwards. I feel like, and I felt this in not such a way that is so eloquently verbalised. He says, make a great big meal of his words, totally undermining the whole meaning of the sentence simultaneously to saying it but um what i mean is when i was younger i couldn't even i couldn't even badly articulate this let alone articulate it well the idea that anytime i was in flow when i was being that megalomaniac child building the little uh the little world on the floor where with my little sticks and my toy trains and making my small buildings and pretending that it was a city and people were moving around and i was making it perfect for them in my godlike role in that role play um in brackets listen to season one <laughs> um in that context i was in very much in flow and when i was doing that i had a problem to solve i had to build a city so i wanted a city to exist it didn't exist i had to make it exist i had to work out how to do that and when it did exist um i had i, I even created problems like i would deliberately derail a train and fix it and in my mind all the inhabitants of this city were grateful that they had such a caring loving god that was solving their problems for them i was in flow by creating problems and solving them and mm. it was quite a satisfactory exercise but even more even like the problem of my phobia of blood i find it enjoyable trying to work out what it is, why do I have a phobia of blood and what am I going to do about it? And that could be a lifetime problem and I may never solve it. But I don't see it as a bad thing. It's completely so, the opposite, a good thing. Why is it a problem then? It's just that, the, the, to me, the word problem means pursuit, uh, means investing your energy into some kind of purpose that gives life it's meaning so when you're creating meaning you have to have a problem and you have to aim for whatever it is that will take that problem and understand it or resolve it or improve the situation yeah 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 because they call like you know maths puzzles maths problems yeah um and but but you know people have you know there's a heavy negative connotation to the word problem for a lot of people i'd agree with you the problem is is basically a challenge that you have to meet. But so what I'm saying is that it's not like there are just a few, a handful of depressed people, a hand, relatively a, a, a proportion of, 
all humans that are depressed and have problems and they're the ones that need to go to the CBT sessions. They're the ones that need to spend 10 years in therapy because they are unique in their minority status amongst humans in having a problem whether or not they identify it themselves or whether someone else points it out or whether they see consequences. I'm saying that in a perfect world, every single human being would be in therapy, every single human being would be trying to identify their problems, would be meditating, would be introspective, would be throwing themselves into the deep end of introspection, which opens up wounds that you don't know you have, reveals problems that you don't know you have. You were ticking along, all right, and now suddenly you think, wait, now I've got all these problems that I didn't even know I had. And then you are on the path of trying to improve your life, which is generally the gist of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. everyone. And I'm always quick to shut down the notion that therapy is for a specific minority group of people who have problems, who suffer from the the sickness of depression that needs to be fixed by that therapist with their spanner climbing underneath them, twisting away and saying, you're no longer leaking, you're all fixed, you're normal again, like all the millions of other people. Well said, James. I mean... What more is there to say about problems? I'm sure the listener will have many problems with what we've just said and will continue this conversation for us. <laughs> In their own head, going round and round, getting angry, filling themselves up with negative emotions, not paying attention to this, not meditating, not talking to anyone, uh, not having any kind of outside perspective uh, and therefore just having an angry internal voice about how I'm wrong about everything and that's just a reflection of the world that's wrong and everything is rubbish and it's just impossible to deal with it so let's just retreat into defeat or let's try and attack it knowing that you're not going to find a solution so just keep on shouting to make everyone know that you're angry or nihilism and give up on life one of those or Join a cult. Yes, one option. <laughs> um, so do you think we have shone light on the problem of problems? Well, what I want the listener to take away from this episode is that, number one, if you have a problem with the word problem... We have a problem. <laughs> yeah. We have a problem with you. We'll come back to that, actually. Number one is a problem with the word problem. I don't think that's actually resolved. So I think maybe you can resolve that in a minute. Number two, to recognise that everyone stands to benefit, even if there are short-term disadvantages, even if in that that, uh, ticking along graph of your life mood, even if you plunge yourself into down a little bit, (laughs) low a little bit, by suddenly becoming aware of your problems that you were previously unaware of. Although maybe there's, I don't know if there is even any truth in that, because being unaware of your problems, uh, being unaware of bad behaviour patterns or things like that can just lead to general dissatisfaction. And then suddenly being aware of them can be quite an enjoyable, a light bulb 
coming on moment. I think it was that for me last year when I sat in, fill in the gaps, when I sat in Montpellier on my own, I was trying to identify my problems and I did feel like I was making some progress with that. And I didn't feel like it was a case of, oh, well, it's not like I was totally depressed all the time. It's not like I was ever attempting suicide or anything like that. To be honest, I was doing okay. I was managing, I was getting by as a human and had lots of good things in my life. And to certain outside perspectives, I could have been evaluated as having a pretty good life. And now I'm sitting here and thinking, oh, that's a problem. Oh, that's another one. Oh, here's something else that I'm bad at. Uh, I don't listen to people when they're talking to me. I don't value uh, other people's feelings. I don't empathize enough. I don't, uh, I, I have a, constant chaotic internal monologue that I don't pay attention to I can't concentrate on things all this sort of stuff I didn't feel like I was swamped and overwhelmed with an overwhelming sense of uh, I've got more problems than I realized I've opened a can of worms that was a stupid thing to do I can't deal with it what do I do now why did I do this at all why didn't I just carry on with a normal life and not willingly subject myself to the burden of introspection I felt like it was useful so maybe I just assumed it's useful for everyone else I don't know but uh, I'm going to do that (laughs) so the word problem though do you have anything to help the listener overcome their hypothetical issue with the word problem so like there's not much more to say than it has a strong negative connotation that the listener is at fault, that they are weak, that they are pathetic if they have a problem. Whereas the private practice podcast's general attitude towards problems... Mantra. ...is is that they're a a challenge, something that gives your life meaning, something that you can overcome, something that, you know, with help might even be enjoyable to overcome, and something that can improve your life if you see it as a challenge something you know a problem is something to be worked out it doesn't have to have that strong heavy negative connotation and we were talking just before we started recording about quite a common feeling among depressive people that it is an aspect of their personality and to change it would be a compromise of your own integrity and your personality and so on from that approach it's another barrier to the enjoyable process I think this is I'm, I guess I'm being subjective here it's another barrier to the enjoyable process of giving life meaning by identifying problems and overcoming them if you just shut that down and say I don't want to change I'm just going to stubbornly stay the same because to open myself up to introspection and to identify problems and I'm really going to use the word problem here with all its negative connotations, to identify problems and to resolve them, like I'm just a leaky tap that then gets fixed, would be a compromise of my personality, my quirkiness, my individuality, all the things that make me special. Uh, So I'm not going to go down that route. It'll just be painful and will compromise my integrity. I'm just going to stay the way I am, depressed, because that's part of me. What would you say to that person? What would I say to that person? I suppose I'd, I'm, you know, off the top of my head, I'd, I mean, I'd have to explore it with the individual, of course. But, well, then why educate yourself on anything? Because education, in effect, is change. Why 
why seek anything in life that improves the circumstances that you find yourself in? Everything you do in life changes you. Yeah, everything you do in life changes you. In order to preserve yourself perfectly, you would literally have to do that. Put yourself in a pickle jar, the end. Yeah. So if there was uh, someone whose, you know, art or writing came from being able to experience sadness, um, like a deep sadness, a depression, if you like, and they were able to produce things so beautiful and moving or so useful and constructive even just to them then i'd probably say fair enough and if it it wasn't destroying the relationships around them preventing them from having a meaningful long-term relationship or succeeding in work um in order to provide for themselves and if it wasn't pushing them towards a kind of a a self-harming suicidal damaging headspace then i might be inclined to agree with them and then the problem actually is for them to be able to explain it to other people. And for them, the problem might be rather than experiencing the depression itself, because depression is not like that for a lot, a lot of people. But that kind of like you maybe said, romanticized, um, melancholic, um, poetic experience of sadness. I don't know that I would actually call that depression. Um, I I don't ever remember meeting a depressed person, a truly depressed person who doesn't want to change some of that. But I have met people who enjoy that experience of sadness and solitude, that a a sort of a, a depressive perspective might give you from time to time. But it isn't, like we said before, it isn't uncommon for people to think like that so that person do you have any thoughts any subjective opinions on whether they should whether they will enjoy their life more by celebrating their depressive romanticized not real depression whatever i'm falling into landmines of using wrong words here but their romanticized thing um should they I've I've just said that they shouldn't dwell on that. They should be introspective and find their problems and resolve them and feel like that gives their life meaning. And you're saying no. No, no. For some people, that is what the the experience of kind of pure, elongated, extended sadness is. An exploration of their own problems and themselves. Oh, okay. So it's not that the person isn't experiencing... I mean, we're not really talking clinically here, are we? We're talking about everyone, so it's very difficult. But we're also thinking about a specific example of someone who experiences sadness and doesn't want to change or someone who maybe actually does experience depression and doesn't want to change. And I'm saying in my clinical setting, I don't ever really remember meeting someone who was genuinely clinically depressed, you know, with all the diagnostic criteria ticked, who didn't want to change that unhappiness i think the problem is stubbornness and it's difficult to identify stubbornness in yourself as a stubborn person but if you really concentrate i'm sure you can have a good go at it (laughs) as in if you if i suppose with both cbt and with analysis because the therapist would recognize if someone is stubborn um the CBT would probably identify patterns of behavior such as 
this person said something to me, they were wrong, they can't see that they're wrong, they're a massive problem to me, blah, 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 and then... Rigidity and inflexibility of thought. Yes, exactly. That will that will be highlighted and they will suddenly see it on the piece of paper as opposed to trying to work it out for themselves in their head. Uh-huh. But if you pay attention to your thoughts, the way you react to other people, the emotions that come from your interactions with other people, it is possible to recognise stubbornness in yourself, to recognise, oh, I always react this way when I think about that person. If I think about a person that irritates me, my first thought that pops into my head without me curating the dialogue, without me being the grand writer of this, the thought that pops into my head is this, such as they're wrong, they're an idiot, they're stupid, they're too dumb to realise what I realise. Why do I immediately go to that thought without even having a nanosecond to contemplate the situation? I immediately respond with, they're stupid. And if you start to recognise that you think of person X and the thoughts that come into your head immediately without you curating them are person X is stupid, you can notice that in yourself without having to have someone else point it out to you. But it's a lot more difficult. That's why meditation is a practice as opposed to an enjoyable distraction from life. But I have a, I have a lovely little uh, tidbit here for you. So when I came back from Montpellier, <laughs> um, I, I met up with someone who, and, and I told them that um, I was noticing the change in myself in that I was finding it much easier to make decisions. I've, always struggled with making decisions it's just been a chaos in my head and I've just wanted some I just wanted to say to someone solve this thing for me pick the thing tell me what to do with my life tell me what to do next guide me please someone guide me please now Mm -hmm. I've always been like that and I've suddenly come back to London thinking okay I've got a million choices of what I do today what my job is going to be how I go about it what do I say to recruiters what do I do in all of these myriad situations um, and in all of them I've been able to think uh, what do I want what's my priority what's the most important thing that okay I'll do that I've never been able to do that before so I was explaining how I've noticed this improved it's not perfect but it's just better than it was before and it was pretty bad before this improved ability to make decisions or at least to to be able to make a decision doesn't matter if it's the best decision because it probably won't be but it's just to be able to make a decision I've found it easier to do that and that has been a positive thing but I I, I didn't necessarily go into all this detail I just said that I noticed a change um, as a consequence of my solitude in, yes, 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 yes. in Montpellier. And, um, and he immediately said, nope, you haven't changed at all. And I had a little internal smile and just felt good about the situation and didn't say anything obnoxious, thereby reinforcing that I had changed to myself and recognising, oh, I'm now reinforcing that I'm right. That's a negative thing about my behaviour that I haven't completely overcome. I'll 
focus on that next. <laughs> nice. Nice. Very nice, James. So, here we go. So, I don't know if we've, we certainly haven't solved all of the world's problems in our episode on problems, but we've talked about problems for an amount of time and we it have. was hopefully enjoyable to I hope so too. someone somewhere. And if you do have a problem, <laughs> <laughs> which you do, obviously, because you're human, you have problems, you have problems, we have problems, James has problems, I have problems, so many problems and, and so little time. It is good to talk to people about your problems, however insignificant they might feel. Um, not the person, not however insignificant the person feels. I'm talking about how insignificant your problem might feel. Um, and it's also good to listen to what other people think of us. I do like a good bit of feedback, me. Um, and then and then take a bit of time to think about that. But, you know, what was the word we used? Excavating in therapy is, is, is a really, really enjoyable, fulfilling experience with ups and downs, of course. Get into therapy. You've got a problem. So from... James Hall, divine only child, individual of the Private Practice Podcast. It's goodbye to you, the listener with problems. And from a problem-saturated Daniel P. Brown, it's goodbye for now. And next time, we don't know what we're going to be talking about specifically, but generally the theme of psychoanalysis and the ongoing problem of our season is probably something to do with the conflict between the individual the self the personality and the mere function of being human and you're not special you're just like everyone else and identity that goes with that socially constructed identity labeling etc mm -hmm. unnecessary add-on to the end of the episode james i left it till the end and not the beginning because i didn't think you'd want me to put this at the beginning so i've shoved it on at the end great <laughs> it's a wonderful story